Welcome to Faked, an original podcast highlighting the underground world of counterfeit illegal items around the world and how to spot them. Whether you're traveling the world or buying online, Faked will be your guide. With your host, Joseph Rowan, you'll explore the many ways counterfeiters can pull off disguising everyday consumer items as the genuine good. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode here of Faked. This, uh, beginning, the beginning of this one, we're going to start off with uh, cutting the... We usually do a skit, but um, in this instance, I wanted to really compare the fake versus the real. Usually, we don't have like a tangible item in front of us, but since, one, since this one deals with audio, um, I think this would be a great time to showcase... Uh, this particular item. So, without further ado, I don't want to string you along here any longer, but we will be talking about the Stradivarius violin. Okay, cue violins. So, um, first off, I wanted to put you guys through a test. I want to put your ears to the test here and see if you can tell the difference between a fake and a real violin. So, I'm going to put that right here. And then uh, quietly think to yourself, tell me which one it is, and then we'll start the episode. So that was number one. I'm not going to tell you which one it was, whether it was the real or the fake one, but I want you to just imagine somebody playing that and then listening to it, listening to maybe its imperfections or its perfections, and then carrying on to the second one, which will be starting now. Okay, so we've heard both of them. If you thought that the first one was the real Stradivarius, then give yourself a pat on the back because you just did what professionals are paid lots of money to do, is to determine whether Stradivarius is real or not. Because uh, there are good fakes, there are good homages, there are good impressions of these. Um So yeah, let's jump in and just kind of get ourselves familiar with what violins uh, are worth because I know that's not something people purchase a lot, okay? So beginning violins are about $300 to $1,000. So that second one you heard was in the $300 
to, or actually probably a hundred dollars to 300. I think it was in that range. So a beginner violin usually is 300 to a thousand. However, you know, if something's less than a hundred, you're getting that kind of squeak horn sound and uh, it's not good. I mean, you're not going to be winning any concertos or any um, concert halls. You're not going to be winning any of you. You're not going to be going to Carnegie Hall. Okay. I guarantee that. Okay. So we need to understand um, who Antonio Stradivari was. That's who actually made the Stradivarius. So he was born in 1644, died in 1734, born in Cremona, which is important because that actually ends up being on um, most of the labels that are not truly indicative of a correct and authentic uh, Stradivarius, but uh, they are on all of the the actual real ones. So it is uh, some, some commonality between them. So he was a renowned master luthier, okay, which is a maker of stringed instruments who made about 1,200 stringed instruments throughout his lifetime. You know, that doesn't sound a lot. It doesn't sound like a lot by today's standards because we have factory-made ones, but those were individually made and without flaw as well. So uh, he took a very, very, you know, just took very, very uh, big pride in his work and pretty much changed the game. So each of them were made by hand. No factory, no automating process, nothing. No, I don't even think there was helping hands involved. I think he was the only one. So today, more than 270 years later, only about half the instruments he made are still in existence or at least are known to. So it's kind of one of those really cool treasure hunt things and you know, people are still finding them. So virtually all of them are accounted for. Okay. So, uh, that's kind of one of the tricks or the, one of the tricky things about it is that if you do find one, I mean, that's like a one in a billion chance. It's, it's akin to winning the lottery. It's ridiculous. Uh, that's why the prices go through the roof. Okay. Auction prices of 3.5 million per Stradivarius are not uncommon. So we can see that all across the board. We can see it excess of 3.5, you know, or just under that, but I don't think there's one that's gone for under a million dollars. So the actual sale of a actual Stradivarius is very rare though, because why would you want to give up something? You know, if you were able to obtain one, you'd probably want to keep it and you'd probably want to keep it under lock because that is a, that's one heck of a gift. Okay. That's one heck of a uh, generational gift there. Two Stradivarius violins are on display at the Smithsonian Museum of American History in Washington, D.C., which I have actually seen. Uh, They are really cool. I mean, uh, you don't get to pick them up and play them, so what's the point? But no, they're behind glass. They're great, um, and they look really wonderful. I feel like people need to play them there, though. That would be really cool. So three are held by the U.S. Library of Congress. So I think that's just to preserve something so great. You know, they want to pass it down. So musical historians are nearly unanimous in the belief that Stradivari produced his finest work somewhere in between, so 1698 and uh, 1725. I think quick math would assume he was like 45, 45 or something like that, maybe 50s. But those are the ones you're going to look for. Anytime outside of that, um, you're going to see a dramatic uh, dip in price. So still worth over a million, but a dramatic dip because I I think there are some that are like 40 million, 44 million, pretty high up there. Okay. Although Stradivarius violins were made until his death, many made after 1730 are believed to have been crafted by the master's son. So I think it was passed, uh, 
passed on there. I guess there was two sons. So Francesco and Omo Bono, which, uh, holy crap. I mean, somebody got the, the, uh, short end of the stick there for names, but, um, it was passed on. I don't think those were uh, worth as much because obviously the handcraft of Stradivari was, uh, you know, excelsior. It was just above and beyond, whole nother level. So an expert is almost always required to authenticate a genuine Stradivarius. So those that um, that did get that correct in the beginning, you guys can kind of, you know, change up maybe your career path and become a genuine authenticator for Stradivarius. So it's pretty cool stuff. Okay, so what does make a Stradivarius genuine, you may ask? Okay, there's actually a lot of factors in this. So the size of the F holes, and that's the actual term. I know it's a little uh, little skanky there, I guess. Uh, the size of the F holes. So those are those, uh, they look like the forte symbol on the, there's two of them. There's a pair of them on the front of the, uh, the violin there. So a study by academics at MIT have suggested the secret to the Stradivari sound is the size of the F holes on the front of his violins. The more elongated these holes, the more sound an instrument can produce because it's letting it out of the violin. So Stradivari made the F holes longer and narrower than in previous instruments, so it did kind of change up the game because there was not plug-in violins. You wouldn't plug this into an amp, okay? Uh, echoing was your amp, so... I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, he thought about let's open up, let's give more body or less, I guess, more body to the sound, less body to the physical product. So pretty cool stuff. The shape that ties in. So Stradivari experimented with different shapes for his violins, even making some which were much longer than a traditional violin. So he was straying away from tradition because I think there was more engineering involved and he saw that. So varnish, that is a key factor. So if you have one in your hand, you can tell instantly. If not, I mean, you can tell to a trained eye that the varnish is good. So much has been written about the varnish the great luthier used. Analysis has even come up with the exact recipe. So it's a mixture of oil, oil, resin, and in some cases, a red pigment just to give it a little bit of a glow, which is kind of cool. So beautiful designs. He did uh, some classic designs. The famous Messiah Strad uh, has an intricate carving on its tailpiece. Okay. It may not uh, directly contribute to the sound, but it looks pretty cool. So, um, you know, he was an artist. I mean, I know musicians are artists and stuff, but he was like truly an artist. He put this stuff, he put the engineering work into it. He sound engineered. I mean, he was an artist. It was so cool to get to see the differences between shoddy, um, shoddy ones and the big, you know, the Messiah Strat or like the the real high end Stradivari. So it's it's pretty cool to see what he put into it. So uh, this is kind of more of a out there. Uh, Theory, but reduced solar activity in the 17th century. Okay, I know it sounds kind of hard to believe, but in a 2003 study, scientists in Columbia and Tennessee said that the colder winters and summers of the 17th century, when Stradivari was working, could have led to slower tree growth. In turn, this would have meant Stradivari and his fellow instrument makers were working with a denser wood. So that's, you know, that's what the smart guys are saying. That was a 2003 study. So 
pretty cool theory. I think that's pretty awesome uh, for them to actually say that we we are working with less quality ingredients now. However, we could probably come up with some sort of um, alloy, alloy, whatever the wooden alloy equivalency of that is. I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, it's cool to think about. You know, they were working with different materials back then. So they also think there was a mystery ingredient. So there may there have been suggestions that Stradivari and his fellow Cremona-based instrument makers might have added a mystery ingredient to the wood that they used, and even that they may have used wood from ancient churches, giving their instrument an Im, inimitable inim, sound. I don't like that word. So uh, you couldn't imitate the sound by today's standard because they used uh, wood from an ancient church, perhaps. So kind of a guess, but... Again, pretty cool. So, ultimately, just gold, good old-fashioned genius. So, while people debate the exact dimensions, ingredients, and design that helped make a Stradivari violin one of the best, if not the best, in the world, there's one thing we can be sure of, is that the man behind it was a genius. Just overall, absolutely a genius. I mean, you have to be to, you know, completely blow the violin market like that and just... Create something that cannot be created by today's standard. I mean, that's pretty awesome. That is pretty cool. So uh, there were some imperfections to it as well. So one study had claimed that Stradivarius violins are far from perfect. In fact, physicists, so we got some physicists on this. Dr. Franco Zanini argued that what makes a Strad a Strad is its tiny imperfections. So these were all handmade, so they all have unique imperfections to it. But Dr. Zanini put a number of instruments into a particle accelerator to look beneath the layers of varnish. Speaking to the telegraph, he said, which is, I believe, a newsprint, we noticed there were a lot of asymmetries in the instruments. In principle, they have no reason to be there, but it is possible these imperfections were made to remove the unpleasant harmonics that you get in symmetrical instruments. So maybe Antonio was so smart that he developed a recipe for implying or implementing imperfections into the instrument to offset potential harmonic uh, dissonance, which is pretty sweet. I mean, that's pretty awesome. You know, everything in the instrument world is usually, uh, you know, very symmetrical. So pretty cool stuff. So the final ingredient... Honestly, I would say it's probably uh, just some of the best players in the world use them. So obviously it attracts a real high-end, real talented crowd. And with that, of course, these things are going to sound amazing. Okay, they're going to sound great because the greatest players in the world are using them. So now that we've learned what a Stradivarius is and who Antonio Stradivari is, we want to take a break here and then we're going to come back and determine how people make them today, and how to determine if one's fake. So let's go to break here and we'll come back. Are you looking for a violin? Well, look no further. We have the good stuff here at Tommy's Violin Store. Come on down. We have great F-holes down here on our violins. We have real Stradivarius guitars, I mean violins so come on down and purchase one this is very real stuff you can tell because Tommy says so thank you for listening
And we're back. So we learned all about Anthony Stradivari. Okay. Great guy. I assume doesn't cheat at checkers. You know, good guy. Overall genius. So he'd probably be really good at checkers, actually. He probably wouldn't need to cheat. So by today's standards, you, to make a violin today, you buy a wedge of spruce. Okay. Spruce is very widely used. Split it down the middle and align the halves so you have a symmetrical pattern or a book match is what they call it. It is clear that many early makers did not work in this way, okay? They have found that at least 14 violins and violas built by Antonio Stradivari between 19, or 1695 and 1705 are made from a single tree, which is pretty cool. So my guess is uh, that these old masters would buy a log, split it into wedges, Thick enough for half the soundboard and then hang him on a rack, sometimes for years, without worrying about any book matches. So many soundboards are mismatched or come from different trees. So that's kind of one of the big difference today is that most people just use one wood, okay? So you buy a, you know, you buy a wedge of whatever and then you just make a symmetrical pattern to create that book match. So that may play a key into why today's are just not as well made because they're, uh, you know, from one tree. So something to think about. It's kind of cool. You know, how can that be applied to something else? So I'm going to be quoting here um, Peter Radcliffe. So here's Peter Radcliffe uh, who uses, and I'm going to mess this one up, so please don't write in about this. Dendrochronology. Okay, I'm probably never going to have to say that word again, uh, which is the study of tree rings to analyze historical instruments because you betcha every old instrument was made from wood. I mean, you know, the occasional brass, but does that really count? It does. Trumpet players don't hate me, okay? Or bugle players, I guess. Uh, By looking at the pattern of tree rings, uh, which is influenced by annual weather, Radcliffe can date the instrument. So that's kind of cool. You know, I don't, I don't just go around dating instruments, you know, I like humans, but apparently Radcliffe, you know, is in the dating mood for, for instruments. So jokes aside, the bellies of most Western stringed instruments are made from spruce, which we talked about, whose tight, even growth is easy to analyze. So when I, when I'm sent, remember I am quoting Peter here, when I am sent an instrument, I measure the width of each ring in the varnished wood. The unique pattern formed by the rings can be matched with those on thousands of instruments in the database, as well as the cores extracted from the oldest living trees and ancient timber. The year of the most recent ring on an instrument is the earliest it could have been built. So there is kind of a cool way to you know, for lack of a better term, carbon date these instruments. So, you know, if there was a piece of wood that they're claiming it's a Stradivarius, we have a time frame in which that could have been made. And if it doesn't fall within that uh, that time frame, then by using this uh, method, you know, you've automatically oust this fake. Okay? So that's kind of a cool way that somebody can use science to... 100% valid or validate a multi-million dollar object or maybe it was a $69 ripoff somewhere but that also goes back to you know know where you bought it from use the noggin you know if you bought it 
from an antique store, I don't know, in a tourist district. Yeah, it's probably fake. You know, I don't think those are ending up there. So let's jump into what makes these fake ones so dang fake. Okay, look for the traditional Stradivari label, which contains a Latin inscription. I don't speak Latin, but I'm going to try this one out. Antonius Stradivarius Cremonesis Facibatano, to denote the violin maker's name, the town, Cremona, where the instrument was crafted, and the year followed by a month and day. So I guess that's what the Facibatano, either printed or handwritten. Even this label is no assurance that the instrument is genuine because people can fake those, okay? You can even age them to look old. So while it is a a very, you know, it's very much indicative of a real one, it also is not a guarantee that it's a real one, okay? You following me? Good. So know that fakes are rampant in the shadow world of music instrument collecting. Finding a Stradivarius label in a violin is virtually meaningless as a cottage industry in the manufacture and installation of bogus labels inside music instruments have thrived for centuries. So this is no new one. I mean, once these things hit the market, I mean, because originally they weren't uh, the most expensive. uh, And I guess you could buy them for like under $100 at one point from some newspaper clippings I saw, which is crazy because, gosh, if we're talking about time travel, go back and grab some of these guys. Whew. You'd be, you'd be rolling in it, and I don't think anybody would question you. You know, I think that might be the easiest way. So, I mean, you know, that's pretty cool. So, uh, next up, you want to always hire an appraiser uh, who will be worth the money if you possess a genuine Stradivarius. Otherwise, be able to identify 270-year-old spruce and maple and varnish stains and textures. So, most people aren't gifted in those. Stradivari also imbued his woods with minerals including potassium silicate, Bianca, potassium borate, and sodium to enhance the sound properties. So sophisticated chemical tests that can harm the instrument are required to establish the authenticity. So you can contact the American Federation of Violin and Bow Makers to locate an expert appraiser. So you can, I mean, there's, there's gotta, there's, there's gotta be money in this because there's, an actual federation of violin and bow makers. So, pretty cool. Okay. That just, I mean, they want to preserve the history and they want to make sure that it gets passed on. They don't want fakes being passed as genuine. So, realize that hundreds of thousands of violins have been manufactured in the last 300 years using the methods and designs pioneered by Stradivari. You have a better chance at uncovering an excellent Stradivarius copy, which also is actually worth some money rather than the actual instrument built by Stradivari himself. So, review research by the Smithsonian Institution, which states that a violin's authenticity can only be determined through a comparative study of design, model, wood characteristics, and varnish texture. So that actually goes back to what we talked about, what what proves a Stradivarius is a real one, also proves what a fake one is if you know what I mean, you know, the authenticity of it is the the uh, final nail in the coffin for a fake one. So if we go back up to those and we review those, we can definitely tell what a um, 
a fake one looks like. So ultimately, the chances of you finding one is nearly a billion to one. They have the actual studies out there. So um, that's that's ultimately it, I would say, for this episode because um, if you do come in contact with one, you know, you're going to not want to, you know, throw caution to the wind. You're going to want somebody who is a professional to test it. While there are a lot of um, telltale signs, you can look at the wood, you can look at the F holes, you can look at the things that um, that we've mentioned beforehand, but you're going to want a professional to look at this thing. You're not going to want to run any sort of analysis on it yourself because boy, oh boy, is that going to be real dumb when you go in to sell that and you're like, what's this scratch right here? Well, I was trying to you know get a little litmus test of what the actual varnish is like and then they slap you in the face do you want that i don't think so so guys that is it for this episode this is the stradivarius episode and how they're faked um i think it was a pretty exciting episode uh i don't think a lot of people listen to a lot of violin based things and i I actually was excited when i saw that this was going to be in my queue because i have um you know, a bunch of this queued up and I wanted to make sure that I covered everything. I didn't want there to be, you know, just because something may be a little dry, I don't want it to be not done or not known about. So remember with faked items, there are those who produce them, those who purchase them, purchase them. I can't mess this one up. And those that listen to this podcast. All right. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye.